Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features our comments about what's going on in the world and a conversation with a senior who has found a way to bring new energy and meaning into their life. So grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about packaging, an impossible challenge for seniors. We ask if Taylor Swift can give bonuses to everybody, where's ours? We lament the passing of incandescent light bulbs. We wonder if we've lost the ability to concentrate. We spring another ads and fads on you, and we discuss the problem of hanging on to elected officials a little too long. The old dog's conversation is with Sheila Baisden. She's a lady who found a way to continue using her considerable skills after retirement. Stay with us. All right, Paul, let's go. Where are we going? Uh, let's explore what's on your mind. Oh, okay. You know, that's always dangerous territory. I know. Jim, but fortunately, I, know. I always have something on my mind. Oh, that's too bad. And this time, it's food packaging. <sighs> you know, as seniors get older, our grasp is not as strong as it used to be. And when we have to perform feats of strength, uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I think food packaging could be designed better. And let me start with breakfast cereals. All right. Would you start with breakfast cereal? Uh, what a great idea. You know, when you open the cardboard outer box, inside is a plastic sealed bag with a yes. cereal in it. Mm -hmm. You got to pull that apart. Yeah. Now, that's not humanly possible. Arnold no. Schwarzenegger would be working up a sweat. Okay. You know, so it, Especially it, it, at it, his age. Okay. Well, I think you should be able to just zip it open. Paul, why don't you just use scissors to open it up? Never thought okay, of well, then you have stale cereal the next day. Uh, that's what paper clips are for. I've got it all figured out. Just paper ask me clips. anything. Okay, well, I'll, I'll ask you to come over the next time I open a cereal bag. All right, what else? What else are you complaining about? Well, uh, milk cartons. You, yeah. uh, you know, you, you sc screw off the nubbin, the plastic cap, and inside is this weird device you got to stick your finger in it and pull as hard as you can to uh, pull out the seal you know what i'm talking about not a clue you don't drink milk never mind can we bring in a milk drinker here so i can uh, uh, next uh next idea here oh next problem um cans you know when we were younger we would use an opener and the openers sure. were always sharp well now there's those cans uh I can't get the doggone can opener to work on them. It slips off. It moves around. I've got a solution for that. Okay. Remember Popeye cartoons? He would grab the spinach. Yes. A little squeeze. And a the, little, right, squeeze. And the, the cover would pop off. Off, like, yeah. I would suggest that all uh, containers have an easy squeeze open on them. Okay. That's all. You know, wouldn't that be easy to, you know, the vegetables, you know, just... Squeeze, of course, now it's going to get a little messy in supermarkets, right? But, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll you can't you have everything. Out. Yeah. Paul, Paul have you ever thought of buying the cans that have the pull top on them? Or is that just... I, I have, but there's a similar issue there. You know, you come close to slitting your throat when you pull them off. Okay, forget I said it. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, you do not have any struggles with open packages. It I don't must have be nice. I have no struggles with anything, Paul. Do you look down on people that have struggles with packaging? No, I try. I try. Uh, no. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, as for me, I, I am going to remain bitter and struggling when I try to open something. <laughs> Say, Jim. Yes. People Magazine has confirmed that Taylor Swift has gifted everyone on her tour with a bonus. Hmm. And the total of the bonuses is over $55 million. Wow. I mean, it's everyone from truck drivers to caterers to dancers, everybody, dozens of people. Okay, and what's your point? Well, th there's only two of us, so we, we should have a bonus, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Now, how do we do that? Well, n normally you would take a bonus out of profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> how about we just declare a bonus? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, just make it so. Like there Star you Trek. go. Yeah, make just it make so. us feel good. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. heck, we can even top Taylor Swift. How uh, we'll we'll bonus each of us, or we'll declare a bonus for thirty million dollars each. Wow, I think the IRS would have a problem with that, don't you? Well, we're not going to write a check. Come on, get real. Oh, we're just going to declare it. Okay, I declare a thirty million dollar bonus for you, Paul. Oh, fantastic. And and the same to you, Jim. Thank you. You're so kind. Well, according to the New York Times, under new energy-efficient rules that went into effect last month, you will no longer be able to purchase most incandescent bulbs, Paul. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Now, there are going to be a few special bulbs you can still purchase, like those that go in ovens mm -hmm. and uh, bug lights. But for everyday floor and ceiling fixtures, you'll have to switch to LEDs. Right. Um, you know, if you go to a dollar store, you might be able to find incandescent bulbs uh, because yeah, it's probably, probably for a, years. <laughs> yeah, a huge backlog in some factory somewhere. But yeah. uh, sooner or later, I guess we're going to run out. So what's the what's the big deal about LEDs? There's there's a lot of well, advantages to them. There are advantages. Uh, uh, they save you a lot on your electrical bill, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're a little more expensive, but, you know, the price is coming down. Mm -hmm. and, and it's inevitable. You know, the change has been going on for a few years, so it's not like really a shocker. No, no, I'm pretty much used to it now. Uh, and you can also recycle the new bulbs, the LEDs, but you have to do it at a recycling center. Right. That's okay. Right. Well, you know, the only thing I think of is that this maybe this whole thing is going to spawn like a pushback movement, mm -hmm. save our bulbs. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I have a poster uh, with that on it. Uh, oh, do you? I okay. do, because I, st I love incandescent bulbs. They're so warm and friendly, uh, and sometimes LEDs can be very cold and impersonal, hmm. like, like a, a relative that you don't care for. Well, I guess it's like vinyl records versus CDs, <laughs> huh? Some people will be squirreling away uh, these uh, incandescent bulbs for a few years. Yeah, count on it. Earlier this year, The Guardian featured an article titled, Is Modern Life Ruining Our Powers of Concentration? Hmm. The Center for Attention Studies hmm? at King's College London, yeah, and yes, exists. there is such really? a place found that 49% of adults surveyed felt their attention span had shrunk. 47% agreed that deep thinking was a thing of the past. Well, um, I believe there are two schools of thought about this. 
Uh, one is uh, technology has shortened our attention span because we get these instant notifications, you know, um, yeah, and also buzzes, we, yeah. uh, we we get this problem with focus. There are so many things to focus on, okay, and uh, therefore we uh, lose concentration very quickly. So, well, uh, let's let me ask you this: yeah. How uh, do you carry your phone with you all the time? Well, I try to, yes. Okay, well, I, I confess I don't always. I sort of take vacations from it. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that. Especially at night, you know, and, and tough. It's That's tough for you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no phone call needs to be handled immediately. That's my theory. And I don't mind not being distracted by it. Hmm. Okay, uh, explain that. Explain why I don't return your calls? No, or why you why don't mind vacation? not being distracted by it. Well, I see a lot of that in people around me. I don't want to name names, but you know, let's just say hypothetically somebody I'm married to. Mm. Uh, this person often has an iPad going, a phone going, and TV in the background, and there, there's a lot of distraction going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I find myself asking her something and then having to repeat myself. Now, this is all hypothetical. Of right? course. Um, gee, Paul, is there anything I can do for you about that? Yeah, quit trying to call me at night, okay? <laughs> Our ads and fads offering for this episode involves ads for a men's consumer product, which were often featured during sport events. This musical ad premiered during a baseball game in 1952. Here's how it starts. Look sharp, gong. Feel sharp, gong. Be sharp, you better listen, mister. How are you fixed for... and fill in the blank. Okay, name the exact product. There's a color involved. And the name of the parrot who was the official spokesbird for this product. We'll be back later with the answer. The New York Times reported the controversies around the aging and unwell Senator Dianne Feinstein. She's 90 years old and struggles to function in the Senate. Raises some questions. Yeah, it sure does. Maybe the main question, Paul, is uh, should there be mandatory retirement age for elected officials? Well, that's that's a good point. You know, the recent health problems uh, Mitch McConnell had oh, yeah. when he was uh, trying to answer and he had that. That freeze, uh, yeah. Yeah, that freeze. I've mm -hmm. done that. Um, I don't know. How, how do you handle something like that? Uh, what you really need is a cognitive test, but, <laughs> you know, Good which luck. senator would pass that one, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and who would devise the test? Who would administer it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. And age limits, I don't know. You know, you've got the same problem. You know, somebody can be very spry and alert at 75, and somebody else is a basket case at 50. Yeah. Uh, but but it's something that really should be addressed. If you remember, remember Strom Thurmond? Yep. He was 100 years old mm -hmm. and still serving in the Senate. And if people you can said he had no idea where he was. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, you can see the risk there. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe it just has to be an age limit, just across the board. And uh, what would that be? Um, 35. <laughs> That's right. Anybody that wants to be a politician deserves to have their head examined, <laughs> wouldn't you say? 
All right, here's the answer for ads and fads. How are you fixed for blades? I better go look. How are you fixed for blades? I better get some. Gillette Blue Blades, I mean. And the spokesbird was a parrot named Sharpie. And blue blades in a handy dispenser were only 98 cents for 20 blades, which means 20 opportunities to cut yourself as you change those blue blades. <laughs> Sheila Baisden spent her adult life working in the field of education, first as a teacher, then as a specialist in counseling. After helping high school seniors to find the right school for them, she worked as a recruiter and admissions director for a number of colleges. Even in retirement, she has found a place as a senior consultant for an independent college counseling firm. But seeing the world is still on her radar. I'd like to start, if you would, telling us a bit about your career. I started teaching right out of college, and when I think about it, I probably wasn't that much more mature than they were, to be honest. When you say, well, could you please not belch loud enough for the whole class to hear it? <laughs> so, it felt like to me I was raising other people's kids. So I left after two years. I started a job as an account executive for an advertising company and realized with that job making money in that way doesn't motivate me. So I tried to think of something that would combine the best of two. I came up with college counseling. It was just circumstance, although people say coincidence isn't really coincidence. But around that time, a friend told me about a job at our alma mater, which was in college admissions. And that could combine the best of advertising and the best of being around high school age kids. Um, and I started that and I loved it. And so about 35 years or so, I've gone back and forth between being on college campuses as an admissions person or um, as a director of college advising, working at private high schools. So you were able to uh, incorporate some tricks, shall we say? Things that you learned in admissions that you could share with students who are looking for a college. Right. Like what kinds of things? Well, the first and most important thing that nobody really wanted to hear is that most families have only heard of the top 100 colleges. But there are about 3,000 other colleges. Even if you say, I want to stay in state. Even if you say, I want to stay in this region, there are still a lot of other choices. I was also one of those admissions people who would stand at a college fair and say things like, yeah, we don't offer it, but if you go two tables down, that college does. <laughs> so just the idea <laughs> of, yeah, you may not be right for the college that I was working for at the time, but just walk two tables down. Or do you see that woman over there with the red dress on? Her college does offer that. And so that was one of the ways that I felt like I could help, especially first generation to college families, kind of get through the process. It sounds like uh, you, you came to the point of view that your job wasn't to get uh, a young person into an elite school. It was to find a school that was a good match for what they want. Exactly. But no matter what side of the desk I was on, whether I was doing college counseling or 
college admissions. What I found is it's a career full of emotion. You can give people facts and they choose not to hear. So you can say to somebody, your child's SATs or grades don't really match with Harvard, but here are 300 other colleges and they still want to apply to Harvard. And you can show them facts and figures of what percent of kids get in and all of that. And so one of the reasons that I felt like I was ready to retire was because of that. I always felt like I was managing other people's emotions. And over time, that gets tiring. Managing expectations and trying to manage emotions was a big part of both positions. I think on the college admission side, it was easier because people wouldn't get upset with you until the end of the process because they tried to be nice until the actual decision came. When you're on the high school side, you don't have that buffer of time um, because people are dealing with you daily, families, mostly parents, students, I found were a little bit more accepting of the advice that I gave. They were more accepting than their parents usually. So there was a point where you did leave your career behind. And I understand that you then started doing some very serious thinking about your next step. Because I always kind of knew what I wanted retirement to look like based on other people that I'd known watching how my parents navigated retirement. I just wanted to remain relevant. And so to remain relevant, and because I was lazy, honestly, I went with what I knew. And so that first couple of years, I did part-time work for um, a couple of colleges. For one college, I did interviews. It was the height of the pandemic. I really don't think I would have retired if the pandemic had not come. If you don't know when you're going to check out, do you really want to spend all this time doing something where it's feeling more and more like stress and strain and that you're dragging people uphill all the time? And that's when I decided that the proportion needed to change. I need to spend more time on the fun stuff that back in the day, I kept saying, when I retire, I'm going to do this. When I retire, I'm going to do that. What I learned is a lot of the things that I want to do in retirement cost more money than I should probably be spending. So um, I had to kind of reconcile what that meant, too. I'm committed to taking two international trips a year. Um, I like a good road trip. I also have a couple of places where I do volunteer work. The volunteer work helps me know that on certain days I have to be productive in some kind of way. And I, I started working about a year and a half or two years ago with a private consulting firm in Virginia. And I pick up the slack from the person who owns the company. If she's got too many clients, it's a college counseling firm. So if she has too many clients, I'll pick up her clients. And from the last couple of years, I realized having maybe five to 10 is enough to kind of keep me 
up to date about what's going on in college admissions and college counseling. You know, with some students uh, that come from a family with limited resources, going to college uh, may mean some heavy loans, uh, may mean graduating with uh, owing sixty, seventy thousand uh, dollars This kind of raises the subject of, is college for everyone? Do you... Do you ever coach any of your students that maybe a trade school or a two-year college might be a better direction? Paul, I am not about getting my head cut off. Um, I don't think college is for everyone. However, just from my personal experience, I've always worked at private schools. And so it was harder for me to introduce that idea, even to a kid who was saying outright, I hate school. I don't see the point in this. Most parents who are forking over money for private school education, they're looking for a better way to get the kid into college. So for institutions where I've worked, that's been harder to talk about. In the probably the past 15 or 20 years or so, it's been easier, though, to get parents to at least think about a gap year for kids who just didn't seem ready. And my hope for some of them have been once you're a few months into a gap year, you'll forget about college altogether. You sound like you're still in the thick of it, Sheila. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to be. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask if there was an end point for this even. You're certainly not retired. Uh, But is there an end point for this kind of public interaction so that perhaps you can only travel? Or is there some other aspect of your life that you want to pursue uh, without any reference to college admissions? I believe in lifelong learning. It's a practical thing, so your brain just doesn't turn to spaghetti. So um, I'm hoping that in the fall I'll be able to audit courses Definitely the volunteer work that I'm doing doesn't have anything to do with college admissions. So I'm happy you asked that. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about that. That whole thing about identity too. So I'm just kind of becoming more practical about what you can and cannot do or what I'm willing to do at this stage in the golden years. I, I think our our years are more brass than golden. <laughs> what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I but, think they are certainly bolder than I thought they would be, and so maybe brass is more appropriate. <laughs> you're you're still working as a consultant, aren't you? You take on some contract work. Yes. So I, maybe you already have a vision of what your ideal retirement is: some contract work for income purposes and to keep the brain working. Um, volunteering which is always good for the spirit and and travel which also keeps keeps that brain functioning does that yeah i made the decision that you can't wait for this date that may or may not come when you're going to do these things and so the thing that i value most right now is just having the health to do these things and not take 25 pills with you or be nervous that you're driving along the Sahara desert somewhere and there's no doctor if something happens to you having to worry about that. 
the second part of it is the financial part of it, which I didn't take seriously enough. The money that I'm making from the part-time jobs really don't amount to anything. <laughs> Every time I do my income tax, I realize that I really haven't made that much money. And so even those are more about keeping a routine and, and keeping your mind fresh. Part of trying to stay relevant, I think, is having a range of friends who are not all at the same point in their lives. Because to me, part of retirement is sitting in a wine bar with friends. Well, Sheila, thanks so much for all of these insights. I have to say, you've given us more than we bargained for. (laughs) 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 We're sure you're going to be just fine. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.